All right, everybody, welcome back to Reclaim the Present podcast. We have Colleen and Jen. Good morning. Good morning. And this this gentleman definitely needs an introduction. His name is Jeremy Indicook. Perfect. And he is he's connecting with us from the UK. He's out in London. He has created a nonprofit that is called Something to Say, and he's also created a an apparel line, some very cool stuff that you want to check out. One of the other things, what what is the title of the movie? It's called Staying Silent. Staying Silent. It's it's about a five minute movie that it, it's just it is spellbinding <laughs> and it will rock your world and wake you up to the reality of what people deal with that are being groomed and sexually abused. Um, I can't say enough about this. I'm very excited to get into this. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jeremy. Thank you so much. What an incredible introduction. And I'm always so humbled when I'm now featuring on these podcasts and people have actually um, dived into my work a little. They know a little bit about the movement and what's going on. And to get those comments about that short film is truly phenomenal because we work very, very hard at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just... uh, to touch base on that film, you know, and as someone like myself that has been sexually abused, I mean, it was over eight and a half years for me. Um, just the face of the coach, of the caretaker, hmm. I I could feel it in my stomach. Hmm. You know, as as more minutes came on, and I just just looking at his face. I could I could feel that predatory nature coming out in this individual. Phenomenal. And a lot of people have written to me off the back of that film that's now winning awards, by the way, which Great. is truly remarkable. A lot of people have said so many different things about it. You know, everybody's taken something away from it, <laughs> even if it's the fact that they haven't been through an experience like this before. And they've never really thought about it in that depth because visually we're not never seeing it right mm-hmm. we're, we're hearing the words we're hearing child sexual abuse child sexual abuse prevention we've got activists talking about it but we never actually see it visually yep and to see that grooming process visually to see the character that's playing the predator and then the young boy called jonah he to see that relationship build throughout that quick five minutes um where the child is actually mates with the predator yep playing football playing video games and it gives that angle to people that i don't think we often think about absolutely and you know just just the subtlety of him sitting there playing video games with him and the the tone of the music uh, just everything that you guys did, like you said, you, the engineering and everything that it took to put it all together, I, I think you guys re- really did a phenomenal job with it. All credit to the team as well. Everybody on that team um, either worked for nothing or heavily reduced rates. Everybody was freelancing. Um, they're all creatives in their own right. Uh, but they felt so pulled towards the project and what Luke Mound, the director, tried to do with it. Everybody was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to give my expertise to this. So, for example, the music that you just mentioned, yeah. that was a script written for the film specifically mm. by a lady in Israel, actually, a connection of a connection. And um, 
yeah, I mean, I'm just so pleased with it. And now that it's won three awards, best director, best editing, and best UK short, we're going to continue pushing it into film festivals. That's great. Because one of my aims, one of my missions is to get this topic on people's table that have never really thought about it before. Yeah. Because we can keep, I can provide content for the survivor circles, no problem, Mm -hmm. but we need to get it outside of those circles Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And every time my film gets played at one of these film festivals, you've got a room full of people who have never really thought about this topic before. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people tell me that. And so if I can get, use that film to try to get onto bigger stages, that's going to be a phenomenal thing in the mission of raising awareness. Yeah. Well, I, good on you. I, I think it's absolutely amazing what you're doing. And I would love it if we could take a travel back to childhood. You know, where did, where did you grow, grow up? Where did it all begin for you? I grew up out in the outskirts of London. Mm-hmm. My family was a normal family, normal functioning family, hardworking parents, and my parents had some trouble in their relationship. Okay. So they'd recently split. So I was spending some time at my mum's and some time at my dad's. Okay. Now at my dad's, my dad was helping a colleague from work with accommodation. My dad was a doctor. This guy was a nurse working in the same hospital. They knew each other. They were both from the same country, similar ages. So actually I think they became mates. Yeah. And this man would stay around now and again. He was a student nurse. And he took a liking to me. And that's when the grooming started. And that's when the sexual abuse started. Now, people are understandably so, so surprised with how this could happen and how this could unfold, in particular with the age that I was at the time, which was eight years old. Mm -hmm. How do you get a child of that age to do sexual things with you? How do you even get a child of that age to engage in anything? Mm Mm-hmm sexual how do you even get them to keep it a secret how do you get them to how how comes they never say anything like all of these under questions that people are confused about not through their ignorance i don't believe even though it's can be irritating for the people that have been through an experience like this why people don't know uh, the answers to these questions Mm -hmm. i just believe it's a lack of education that's out there absolutely a lack of content that's out there. You know, this is the number one taboo topic. Mm-hmm. Like I was on a podcast yesterday and we were discussing this. We were trying, we were trying to question that that statement. And we were actually trying to find a topic that's more taboo. And we couldn't we couldn't find one. You know, the sexual abuse of children, the sexual exploitation of children, mm-hmm. the exploitation of children's bodies for an adult's fantasy. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's something more taboo than that. And the result of that being so taboo means that there isn't conversations, you know, being had about it in homes um, and people don't really understand it. So my idea is if I can shine a light on how easily this can happen as a result of a child's nature and the result of an adult's calculated deviancy Mm -hmm. and exploitation then we're going to stand a better chance of just being aware of the signs that are around us now my abuse lasted for two years i showed no signs doing well at school had lots of friends at school very social 
playing all the sports. I was captain in a lot of the sports teams. Like from the outside, you would have never known. Perfect pitcher. Right. In fact, I've spoken to the parents that knew me back in those days. The parents of friends who I've still got, who I'm still friends with now, who I was friends with in those days. They've known me all this time. I'm 37 years old now. Mm -hmm. So I've known them. I met a lot of my friends. Uh, I'm very fortunate for this. I've met quite a few of my friends that I've still got now when I was seven. First day at my new school. Mm -hmm. So these parents of those friends, they've known me all of this time. And I say to them, now you look back at what happened using hindsight, now that you know what happened to me, can you see that I was showing any signs? And they're all like, no, Jeremy. Even though we now know what happened, even when we look back now, you were showing no signs. So yes, we do have this common perception that a child who's being sexually abused is can't make friends, is the boy or the girl sitting in the corner and can't get on at school, mm -hmm. is the boy that's being disruptive at school. It's not always like that. It's not always like that. Well, and, and I think one of the reasons why it's not always like that is because in some cases, you're dealing with individuals that have not had, they're not being bullied. They have a constitution. They have supportive parents. They have a support system where the individuals that are bullied, they have been victimized by their own parents or caretakers, and then they get sexually abused. Now we're talking about the perfect opportunity for them to mutilate themselves, for them to break themselves down, for them to be ousted from the world, because seemingly there's no place where they could be trusted or feel trust. That's a, that's a really good point that you make, and it's really ignited an, an idea that I should probably talk about a little bit more. Um, and that is that growing up, I had great support and encouragement around me. So my parents were hardworking. They cared. They supported me in my schoolwork. They, I was clothed. I was fed. I wasn't neglected. Mm -hmm. And I had this incredible friendship group. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, met them at seven. Right, I'm still friends with, I think there's like six of us that met in the playground that day. I'm 37 now, 30 years later. Yeah. Again, I played a lot of sport and I was quite good at sport. So that gave me good feedback. I was doing well at school, give me good feedback. So these things were building me, yep. building my resilience, building my character. Yep. And that actually, thinking about it now, that must have played an incredible part in the sexual abuse that was going on behind closed doors, mm -hmm. which was horrific in nature. I've got, I've got probably about six or seven kind of video snippets in my head mm. that if I was a director of a film with unlimited funds, I could recreate those. Like I know the smell, yeah. I know the atmosphere. I remember what the sofa looked like. I remember what my bed duvet cover was like, you know, I really know that, but that didn't pull me down. Mm -hmm. You know, that didn't rip me apart. That mm -hmm. didn't knock me over. And I think these are all just interesting and valid points to talk about. Mm -hmm. What did the grooming process look like for you? I can't remember. Okay. I don't know. Okay. And that proves how well he did it mm -hmm. because 
I was thinking that if your aim is to groom a child to do sexual things with you, you don't want any of that grooming process, the gradual grooming process, which I believe it would have been, <laughs> to be alarming for that child. Correct. Right? You don't want any spikes in disruption. You don't want to hurt that child physically. You don't want to make that child sad or angry at all. You need it to be a smooth curve. But like an expert, like when you think about graphs, right? Mathematic graphs, <laughs> you want it to be an exponent exponential curve. Yep. You don't want any spikes in that curve, yep. right? Because, you know, if you hurt that child physically or you upset them or make them emotional, they're going to separate. There's a chance that you know, they're going to say something to someone. Yeah. Or separate and th that level of distance isn't going to allow the grooming process right. to further. Yep. Because it's a gathering of trust, mm -hmm. gathering of friendship in some examples, mm -hmm. um, gathering of authority. I, I also understand that. And so I don't remember. So, so all I've got, all I've got is the memories of what we were doing at the height of the sexual abuse. Okay. And then it finished at 10 years old, went on for two years. He moved away. Sorry, brother. I yeah. I, I didn't really think anything of it. You know, I didn't really think, oh my goodness, that stopped. Well, I don't remember thinking that. Yeah. You know, I don't remember thinking that. Mm -hmm. Then I entered into my teenage years and I just got these mates. It was, um, it, we were always messing around. We were just having fun again, same, same, uh, lifestyle at school. Um, so, so life just continues. Mm -hmm. Now going, going back, you, you had talked about the events, the, the, the micro clips that are in your brain. I think a lot of people don't understand how that, how that works. Right. So something that seemingly can feel good, something that seemingly could not feel painful initially, right? Um, that sensation is heightened. Then the sensations of sight, the sensations of smell, we have seven senses. When people are sexually abused, it could be a smell of cologne. It could be a smell of deodorant. It could be, you know, the fabric softener from where, you know, their undergarments smelt like. There, there's just so many triggers that can trigger these senses. But the good news is, Jeremy, if, if those video clips in your brain, which tells me that your, your eyesight, that your eye senses your eye senses felt the greatest heightened response of what you went through. Introspection has been very, very powerful to dull those senses. If in it, have, have you heard anything about this? No, no, no. I'm interested. Okay. So where is one of your most favorite places to be? From from sight, is it a beach? Is it a football field? The forest. The forest. Okay. One of the so one of the things for for Jay when I started experiencing the 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 visual senses, the flashbacks, it would be the hook of his penis. 
it would be micro blips being shot at me. And I'd say, God, stop it. Oh, God, I just want to have a day. I just want to have time without thinking or, or seeing this stuff. Oh, and it would like the minute my feet hit the floor, it would just like bam, bam, bam. And it, you know it comes in rapid fire. Okay, so one of the things that I've learned on my journey through this crap is when I, I'm sure you're deep in meditation, you're a calm cat, you're a calming individual, you can reintroduce a visual meditation to bring you into the forest. So the more that, so when one of those micro blip videos, now, if you want to utilize these micro blip videos for one of your projects, that's one thing. But if you want to dull them down, you reintroduce beauty. When those come, you reinforce and reintroduce beauty. Some people have gone and gotten hypnotized Hmm. to reconnect with that forest. Or if we're just sitting here right now, And I said to you, how did it feel when he touched you? Mm. And you go back to that video in your brain. And now we think of the most lush green leaves in a dense forest coming off the trees on a pathway. Maybe you see an owl. Maybe you see a hawk. Can you see it? Yes. That's how you can separate yourself from those senses. Because really what has happened is you're in a, and I'm not a doctor. I had to learn this for my own survival. What has happened is something hit your system. This sexual abuse hit your system and your, your genitals said, yes, hmm. your brain said, no. Your body connected to your vagus nerve said no. So the problem, the problem becomes there's not an agreement. There's a disagreement between our natural body makeup and our sexual connection, which we are, which is it's all a part of nature. That gets frozen in our body system. Our body system is connected to the vagus nerve. You're familiar with the vagus nerve, okay? Not really. Okay, so the vagus nerve goes from the back of your neck, down your chest, all the way down to your buttocks, okay? And it's got, you know, like uh, cable modems. You used to have the dial-up modem where it'd be like, now you get the cable modems. Okay, the the vagus nerve is a hyperdrive communication system that tells the brain if it is safe or not. Then the brain reaffirms that back to the body. So 80% of the communication is coming from the body to the brain. Well, think of what you went through. You stated that it was horrific. So guess what your brain does? When those things pop up, There's something in your environment that is triggering it. It could be the energy of an individual. You could walk by someone with predatory instincts. It could be smell. It could be a a multitude of things. But basically what is going on, it's your brain in self-preservation overload. Hmm. 
And it's saying, hey, Jeremy, guess what? You remember when this happened? You remember when this happened? We don't want this to happen again. Remember this video? Remember this video? And and basically what that means is the self-preservation side of it, it's flooding you with cortisol. It's flooding you with adrenaline. It's doing all of the things that someone who's been in a violent situation has been through. You're probably dealing with hyperarousal, hypoarousal, super high ups, super low downs. Then like, okay, where's where's the threat coming from? So you got the hypervigilant part of it as well. And it's all because what happened to you got locked into your body. So here's here's something that I was able to do. It wasn't the first time that I was molested. It was the second time. The second time I was given a pint of alcohol. The first time it was just masturbatory. The second time I was kind of the the, the pudgy kid. So it was, here, let's get some Hawaiian punch. Well, I wasn't allowed to have a Hawaiian punch. Let's fill it up with a pint of vodka. I, I've seen that before, but I was only eight, eight and a half years old, nine years old. So it was like, okay. I I drank it and I woke up to mosquitoes biting my ears and pitch black. The windows were rolled down because I'm throwing up out out of the window and the man is on top of me with his mouth and he wouldn't get up. And why am I saying this? I'm saying this because I want you to connect with what happened. We have our survival responses. We have our fight response. We have our flight response. Those don't work. We have a freeze response. We can't forget about the fawning response as well. There's a fawning response. There's a response where, you know, how date rapes and stuff like that happen where the person's like, well, you you let it happen. Well, guess what? That's a natural instinct to let a situation happen rather than fight it because your brain is saying, I'm overpowered. I might as well just let it happen. Okay. So we have the fight response, the flight response, the fawning response. Then we have the shutdown, or excuse me, the freeze response, then the shutdown. Okay, so what happens is the system got seemingly so overloaded, fight or flight didn't work, freeze didn't work, fawning didn't work. You could not get back to a place of homeostasis. You could not get safe. The abuse still happened. What happens then, you have a shutdown The shutdown traps your fight or flight response. So for myself, for example, 20, was it 2021? So 2021, I went to a somatic experiencing professional. Are you familiar with somatic experiencing? Okay. I'll give you all this information after the show. Mm. I went to a somatic experiencing professional and did this thing called pendulation and titration. And I was able to come They were able to activate me, come back through fight or flight response, and that was able to take away my startle response that I had between 500 to 1,000 times a day. And the reason why they were able to do it is because they were able to wake up the collapsed stress response that had been stacked on top of each other. So it's it's something to consider. And I wanted to share that with you. So... My concern is with these video clips that I've got in my head Mm -hmm. that if I spend any moments truly thinking about them Mm -hmm. and I think about 
the sad situation that that eight-year-old Jeremy was in. <laughs> if I reduce the stress or the anxiety or the anger that that provides to me when I remember those video clips, I worry because those emotions are so useful for action. And I worry that if I dampen them using various techniques, that the fuel for the fire to ensure that no other eight-year-old boy go through this, I worry that that will reduce. I feel like those the the the, the stress response that I have to those video clips mm -hmm. is like gold. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like that's a gem. You know, those video clips that I have, they're gems. You know, they can be used for incredible action. They are the they are the things that gave me the confidence to leave my very successful engineering career and go pack everything into my car, start sleeping around people's houses and pursue this uh, this pursuit that I've got uh, that I started four and a half years ago. Those memories are what gave me the courage to go and knock on this man's door that did this to me following a failed prosecution. So I always worry that if I work on these memories using the brilliant techniques, your one that you've just explained here and the various incredible techniques that psychologists and psychiatrists have developed i worry if i get rid of those memories then i'm going to be in trouble what do you think about that i definitely i i would agree with you you know because i still utilize i mean just here in this conversation i've i've utilized some of my flashbacks i've util, utilized some of my experience however i would say it this way <clears throat> If you're a fully functional adult, you're able to have relationships, you're able to have a relationship with your own child, or you're able to have appropriate relationships with other children. If you're able to be comfortable on a level of being in your skin <clears throat> to where you're not having suicidal ideation, you're not having homicidal ideations. I absolutely would agree with you for me, myself, it, it went so far where if I did not have some type of release from it, I was going to go to heroin. Like one of my friends did, I was going to go, you know, because cutting didn't work. Burning didn't work. Meditation didn't work. Um, psychiatry didn't work. Psychology worked on some level, but it didn't work like this somatic experiencing did where <clears throat> I completely respect the fuel. I completely respect your perspective on that and your ability to use it and channel it for good. But this conversation is going to the people that are completely overwhelmed. Understood. They're completely lost. They're not broken. They just need a recalibration. Yeah. Um it's it's a little bit it it's a little bit different. Each person is different. And Jeremy, you might you might come to a point 
where maybe it's five years from now where you look at it and just say, okay, enough's enough. I'm tired of seeing these images. And that, that time may never come, but it, but it might. And I think the beauty of it is it's your own personal and delicate journey. I agree. And I also agree that the journey is continually evolving Mm -hmm. and it's taking one path at one point and one path at at another point. It's I, I went to scroll down my newsfeed pretty recently it must have been last month i scrolled all the way to the start i just wanted to see how i was writing posts and see how i was expressing myself and see how i was talking about things uh, when i started this and i spent about an hour just reading through some old posts and i was like ah i, I don't have that perspective anymore yeah. or i don't think about that like that anymore yeah. or i'd write that completely differently and actually with my early videos um you can feel that anger in my voice yeah yeah you can really feel the like spike in my voice um and now it's different yeah i'm not saying the anger's reduced or increased whatever it may be the tone is different yeah and not to put a label on the current tone that i speak with it's just different Mm -hmm. and so i think you're right i think in five years time i could be completely different about this something that i'm always constantly evaluating is things like trigger warnings right so um you're right our conversation now we're giving our own experiences and our own thoughts and our own ways forward but there are people listening to this that will need something different or feel a different way or take a different option to what options we're laying out on the table and I'm continually like questioning everything that I do. One of the things that I don't do is put trigger warnings on my work. I don't either. Okay. And um, I'm open to conversations to continually reevaluate that. Um, but my point, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm making that point is that that's going to work for some people and not work for some people. Mm-hmm. Right. The trigger warning things. Let's take the film that we opened this podcast talking about. It would have been, you know, some people may think, would say that that deserves a trigger warning at the start, right? Now, I think there's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation here, because yep. if I put a trigger warning at the front of it, there's going to be at least 10% of the people that come across that video scroll straight past it. Yep. And there, a certain percentage of that, that 10% are the people that needed to see that. I'm talking, I'm not talking about victims of this crime i'm talking about parents who have children themselves that have never thought about this happening yeah they need to see that film but if i put trigger warning at the start of that they're scrolling straight past that of course they are they don't want to watch something like that can i interject really quick so please the world is not the 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 ground we stand on is not glass Mm. and the world does not bend And the world can be a very tough and cold place. And in those wonderful spots of love and warmth and kindness that come out of the woodwork for people, the world does not bend. And I think with these trigger warnings, I think with these labels that have to be a, hey, I just want to let you know this has 
you know, the potential to to bring out child sexual abuse or, you know, the the conversation this this show is a conversation about child sexual abuse. We want to let you know that ahead of time. <clears throat> People, there's only certain places where you're going to get that. So in my personal opinion, I believe it sets a person up hmm. for safety that is not available. There's a, there's a seeming like, oh, I, I'm I'm safe. I'm not going to have to deal with any triggers. Well, guess what? People that have post-traumatic stress disorder, people that have been sexually abused at the rate that you were sexually abused, at the rate that I was sexually abused, there's going to be triggers. And those triggers aren't going away. Yeah. And church doesn't care about your triggers. No one cares about your triggers at the end of the day. Because if we say, oh, that triggered me, oh, that triggered me, oh, that, oh, 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 guess what? We'll be here all day. Yes. And you know what? I personally, I feel bad for what you went through. I feel bad for what I went through. Mm-hmm. I feel bad what others went through. But that's the whole, it's the whole thing about it to me is the world is not going to bend for us. They'll further take advantage if we don't stand up tall and say it stopped with that. Mm. That's where it stopped. Now, I'm not saying we we are are the automatic lion. It it takes time to grow. It takes time to build courage. It takes time to discern and create boundaries and all of those things, because guess what grooming did? It took all of that and put a grenade on it and blew it up. So those all have to be recreated. Those all have to be learned. And it's a process. And there is support that is out there, but no one is going to be nice a hundred percent of the time because of what we went through. Yeah. People, God love them for it, are self-preservation because their brain is self-preservation. Well, if I'm constantly worried about someone else's triggers, then where's my self-preservation come in? Mm-mm. It doesn't work. The counter argument that I've had for this is that let's take my audience. I have a lot of victims of this crime and my work, if they come across a post and it's not a good day for them and it triggers them, then that may spiral them out of control uh, for that day at any intensity level. And that is a concern of mine. Absolutely. I don't, I don't I don't make this decision lightly, right? But I don't know if this is a suitable counter argument to that counter argument, but as you mentioned, anything can trigger anybody. Yep. So if if the person that abused you when you were a child always ate an orange after their dinner, every time you see an orange in that fruit bowl, every time you see somebody peel an orange, it's going to give you that memory. Yeah. And so it's almost like there are triggers absolutely everywhere. But if we take ourselves back to the children that we were and 
we are looking at the world around us that adults created and the situation that we're involved in, which is sexual abuse. And we had the maturity to look at the world and be like, why aren't the adults talking about this? What we would be, we would be asking, why are they putting trigger warnings on all of this? Do you not know what's happening to us? Right. Why are they silencing this? Why is this taboo? The, the children that are in this situation right now are angry at us adults because we're not talking about it. It's not open. And they'd be furious at us for putting trigger warnings, meaning that at least 10% less people will watch that piece of content because of that trigger warning. So it's like, it is, it is a balance and it is damned if you do, if damned if you don't. Yep. But that is one of the big reasons why I... I'm still maintaining my decision to not put the trigger warnings on. And to your point about that person that watches it and it's their day. I mean, you're, you're speaking to someone that would go months. Hmm. I I would, I would be months in negative feedback loop after negative feedback loop. And not just myself, my, my sister who's here with us right now. I mean, it was, it was a great effect on all of us. My sister was just seven feet from the first time that it happened and and nothing happened to her. She, she was safe. And my thought about that individual, that it's a day for them because they saw something. That's a really, really good sign that there's something else out there that could help them further. Because if that trigger is taken out a day, if that trigger is taking out a month, if that trigger is taking out a time, that means that there's more work to be done. It needs action. It needs it's action. That, it's an indication that action is necessary. So I say bring the fucking triggers on. <laughs> <clears throat> Respectfully. I put out a post um, last week and it was a photograph of me as an eight-year-old boy smiling. Oh. And the first line of the post was, this boy knew what a penis tastes like. Yeah. Is that too much for you to hear? Well, it should be. Yeah. Because this is happening. And then the post went on. Now, I spoke with a few of my friends, which I often do about my work. They give me great feedback, honest feedback. And there was two of them that were like, listen, I know your story, right? I know you, right? But that post was different because that post made me stop in my tracks. Mm -hmm. That post sent me emotion. That post made me feel a way that I didn't want to feel. That post made me admit to what is really going on out there. And it gave me a vision that I couldn't escape. It made me feel so sad so angry so it gave me a feeling of disgust but you forced me into it and i think it was a very powerful post and so yeah maybe maybe it is we do need to send you know and when we do, and we're not we're not aiming to trigger somebody into a terrible no situation we're obviously not trying to do that but i am trying to trigger some of my audience into action i am trying to trigger i have um a percentage of my audience is people that have never been through an experience like this but their parents and they've come across my work right phenomenal phenomenal Mm -hmm. when i started realizing that that was happening through messages coming in 
I was like, oh, that's one of the big goals that I wanted. I wanted to get outside of the survivor circle. So yep. this is great. Yep. And I want to trigger those parents, right? I want to trigger those parents into being like, the first thing I'm going to do right now is go and speak to my seven-year-old, my 13-year-old, yeah. my 10-year-old. I'm just going to do it right now off yep. the back of that post. That has triggered the hell out of me. Yeah. And I'm living that, proof of that. That's okay. exactly what happened in our house because of your video. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sent a shiver up my spine, that has. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <clears throat> Phenomenal. It's so important. It, the way that you're getting the word out, it, like, you, like your friend said, it, it's distinct. The videos, the videos, the way that you are connecting with individuals, you know, I, I watched that OnlyFans. Okay. And uh, the way that when you were stopping the video to review it, I, I was connecting with, and I mean, literally connecting with every single thing that you set up about her and about her situation. Monica, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. yes. I mean, you want to talk about just the the level of horror in yeah. enslavement and just God bless her wherever she is and God give her some type of peace because wow. Yeah. And shout out to the YouTube channel that posts all of those stories. Like I'm on, it was Monica. I reviewed her story. She was horrifically abused throughout her life, and I think still is um, by her own mother. Which she talked openly about it, leaving a void in her life that she now feels with the validation and attention from men, from OnlyFans, and a, a career in the adult industry. A real horrifying story. And that YouTube channel, for anybody who wants to check it out, is Soft White Underbelly. And he's posting incredible real-life stories. And I just honestly think that real-life stories is is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, like, all the information is within them, you know, and and they're real and they're hard hitting and they're connecting on a human level. And, and, you know, we have lived for millions of years sharing stories all the way back to the caveman days when we used to uh, draw the picture of the beast that got us, got some of our tribe on the wall. So the next tribe could sit, you know, you know, we've been, we've been doing this. (laughs) And, And, and I was so pleased when I posted that video, I was pleased because I thought this is real. This is connecting. She told her story brilliantly. It made me feel very emotional. And people can connect with this type of thing. And 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 it, I, I don't want, I, I, I want variety in my work, right? So I don't always want to talk about my story. Yeah, of course. I don't always want to talk about child abuse. I sometimes talk about abuse in general. Yeah. I sometimes also talk about the offenders, which is, the big conversation that we're not having. Mm -hmm. I talk about the education of children, but I also talk about sex because these are all interconnected, right? How we talk about sex as a society, how we handle sex as a society, how many people are having a sex life that is incredibly deviant, extending from that immoral, extending from that illegal, Mm -hmm what's going on in their brains Mm -hmm. because if we can understand the mind of the person that's committing the crime Mm -hmm. 
that's valuable information for us to understand how the grooming process works Mm -hmm. and how we're going to fight against that. I'd like to touch base, you know, especially for one of my friends that ended up overdosing on heroin because he was sexually abused when he was in third grade by an eighth grader. And the web that I think a lot of people don't understand is, okay, the eighth grader was sexually abused for four or five years by multiple individuals. That eighth grader not realizing how bad it is for him is just acting out as still a child. But it has repercussions. It's not playing doctor. It is, it, it is taking the nature of child discovery, childlike wonder, and it's turning it into a predatory environment. And there's, there's seventh graders that are doing it. There's eighth graders that are doing it. There's freshmen that are doing it. How did these monsters get created? Well, these monsters got created because someone did it to them. Right. And tomorrow, I am going to speak to a school of year eight, so that's 13 years old. And I have 50 minutes with them. And one of the things that I cover is analyzing yourself in in sexual situations, understanding how you feel in sexual situations, understanding the correct behavior in sexual situations and the incorrect behavior in sexual situations. Because when I go and speak in these schools, yeah, you know, the statistics show us that I am definitely speaking to at least one child, one young teenager that is currently in a situation that they've never told anyone about. Yep. But I am also talking to at least one person that will grow into an offender. Yeah. Or is currently offending. Yep. And so I think this needs to be a more rounded conversation. Now, when I started speaking in schools earlier this year, which was a phenomenal achievement, I have been pushing for this for a long, long time. My conversation that I was having with these young people was all about the victim side of things, Mm -hmm. the survivor side of things, whichever term you like to use. But I want to make it a bit more rounded, you know, because we need to talk about the offender. We need to talk about the offense. And I think that also is an interesting conversation for the person that's going through it as well. Right. And I think that brings a more rounded conversation. And I also see that that really grabs the attention of young people, especially if delivered in the correct way. Yeah. It's very interesting. And it is interesting. And why why can't it be interesting? A few people have said to me when they've heard me speak, um, they say, that was really, and I don't want to use this word, but entertaining. And I'm like, yeah, please use it, right? Because if we can entertain, if we can create interest, then you're going to keep that viewership. You're going to get them looking into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, entertainment is the opposite of boredom. The <laughs> last thing you want to do is bore people right? because they're, they're going to switch off. Yeah. And that's not what we want. Yeah. So, so yes, the the full circle of the conversation is is interesting and useful and important. Let's start talking about offenders. Yeah, please, you start because every time every time I start it, 
you know, I am working. I am constantly thinking of different ways of opening this conversation because, I mean, the first few times I ever tried it, I got attacked. Attacked. <laughs> and, and I made a couple of videos about it. And, or I wrote a few posts. I even wrote one where my mate called me straight away and was like, you've got to pull that. Because because it's coming across incorrectly, and I was like, no, no, let it stick. I left it, but I wrote a comment revising what I'd said. Right. <laughs> so honestly, I'm still trying to work out the best ways. All right, I'll so, take I, I'll take a stab at it. Have you ever seen the movie Old School? No. Okay. <clears throat> Let's. Uh, you ever see the the movie A Team? Or the show A Team when you were younger? Yeah, I have a rough idea of what it was about. Yeah. Okay. You remember the van? Yes. Okay, the blackout windows, all all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Every everybody has been taught to be looking for the van that is circled around the neighborhood next to the fucking ice cream machine. Yeah. You know, the 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 ice the ice cream. Yay! Yeah. And you hear the music and all the kids come running and you know, just a couple get snatched and thrown into the van. Yes. Parents have been fooled for years that this is the that this is where it's coming from people don't realize that the the dad that can't keep his hands off his daughter or the uncle that is in the family or the cousin or you know it's it's very ancestral and when you talk about the sexual deviance when you talk about all of those things i believe that there's a grooming process for predatory behavior you know, when you go and you, you just go to Pornhub right now mm. and my stepdaughter, my stepson, my, you know, and it, this, this is stuff that has been going on for years. This isn't like brand new, but now most of the porn is my 18 year old stepdaughter, my, you know, so <clears throat> what are we doing? It's a very good point. I've never really thought about it. Very few of the offenders, I'm going to say, wake up one morning and all of a sudden like underage children. I'm going to say that, right? Yeah. I, I would say that I wouldn't be too far off with that. You know, none of them wake up one morning and out of the blue, they're like, I'm going to try and groom a child. <laughs> like, like, right. Say, yeah, they say I don't want to do it. You're you're absolutely right, and this goes this goes for alcohol, this goes for food, this goes for sex. I don't want to shoot heroin. I I don't want to eat that burger. I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. Guess what happens? The brain does not discern the don't. So the more that we say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I, I'm not a monster. I'm not a monster. I'm not a monster. Guess what happens? And I didn't, this isn't mine. It was going to a therapist in 2009 being diagnosed with PTSD because I was diagnosed with a multitude of other things. And I was like, I don't want to drink. I, I, I'm not a monster. I'm not a monster. And I was stuck in that negative feedback loop. And guess what? The more I said I'm not, the more I was becoming. And I'm not talking about a pedophile monster. I'm just saying an unpredictable individual. Mm. <clears throat> the more that we negative self-talk, that's that's a type of negative self-talk. 
and it creates habituation. Yeah, this is this is a great point. So so if we try and make a comparison, which is always a bit risky, but could we say an alcoholic doesn't wake up one morning and become an alcoholic on that morning? Correct. From that moment on. It's a slow process. Yep. Slow, gradual process of drinking more and more and more and more until it's out of control. Um, addiction, we could label uh, all addictions probably with that pr- same process, right? Nobody is not addicted one day and then fully addicted that they're not functional the next day. Yeah. It's like a gradual process. So are the people that are attacking children in this way, has it been a gradual process for them to be actually committing the crime on a child in real life? Most probably. But but like 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 but just just for me to finish, it's important that the listeners understand that there is not one size fits all for correct. Yeah, it's very important. Mm-hmm. There is no one one thing. <clears throat> we can't umbrella everyone that's committing this crime with that. It's very very complex. There is a spectrum of offenders coming from a spectrum and a, 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 a spectrum a spectrum with infinity like it's not even limited it's it's so vast the offense is always different the person's background that's offending is always different <clears throat> um the circles that they hang around with is different the amount of times they've done this is different yep. how they got here was different yep and it's male and female yes and I've I've studied cases where the individual was so abused in their life, in their developmental process, that their psychology is locked into the time where the massive amounts of abuse started. So, for instance, someone that's scalded with a stove, someone, you know, you read the book, uh, a child called it or, you know, someone getting stabbed by their parents or whatever it is, just massive, massive amounts of physical and psychological torture. What it can do is it can lock a person in their brain at the time of the abuse. So seemingly this person is a 40 year old man, but their brain is the psychology of an eight year old and a nine year old. So what are we going to do about this? <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I, one, one conversation at a time, one person at a, at a time. I mean, but you're, you're right. I mean, you are a very intelligent man. You come from an astute background with an engineering background, highly mathematic, highly statistical. Okay. This is a NASA level equation. Mm, you're right how do you deal with infinity the first step that we should take is try our hardest to put the anger response to the side because when it's only anger we don't even talk about it it doesn't allow conversation very true so when I ask a simple question like, what are we going to do with all the convicted offenders that have served their prison sentence and are now released 
into community. The <laughs> common response. <laughs> Light them up and shoot them. Exactly. We're laughing. We're laughing because it is comical when yeah. you think about it. Yeah. You know, if you were an alien looking at our planet and you're like, I wonder how they're dealing with this situation. What? They're meant to be intelligent beings? Yeah. You, you know? Uh, so the, the the immediate response from everyone is just kill them all. I want to like, learn from them. Castrate them. Line them up, line them up and shoot them. Of course. Right. My first response is, okay, that's fine. But unless, but we do not have that punishment for any crime in this country. So unless you're going to go out there and campaign for that, stop saying it because you're wasting time. Yeah. Right. Hold your anger for a moment because short sentences are given for this crime. That's something we need to definitely be addressing because at the very least, it's not a deterrent. The sentences that are being given out are not a deterrent for anybody that's thinking about committing the crime. And that's yeah. just one piece of that conversation. So we can't kill them. We can't castrate them. We can't line them up and shoot them. Yep. So what's next? Yep. Right. Monitoring, supervising. Of course. Restrictions. All of those things. Right? Registers. All of those things. Determining what level of risk they are to the community, etc. right? Constant monitoring. They have to play by our rules now, right? Okay, so people more or less agree with that. So we need to put money into this. Fuck, no, we, we don't want to put any- <laughs> Raise taxes. Any money. We're not <laughs> investing any money into them people. Okay, look, look, just calm down again. Right, calm down again. Okay, next option that some people say, these- Crime should be given a life sentence. Okay, here's the statistics in country I'm living in, the UK. Their prison capacity here is 85,000. It's already full. On the sex offenders register are 100,000 people currently in this country. Let's say half of them, let's say a quarter of them, committed that offence against an underage person. That's 25,000. Where are we going to put those 25,000 people? We don't have the infrastructure for it. Do you want to increase your taxes so we can build that infrastructure? You probably don't. Right. So the monitoring, the managing, the supervising, the team of people to do that, we should be doing these things. That's where a lot of the conversation needs to be. Because if your child got hurt, by some a convicted offender because they weren't being monitored and managed properly since their release, you would be so angry because that was a crime that is easily preventable. And you can't prevent it 100%, right? And, and the question of can these people be rehabilitated – I'm not sure that they can. Uh, you know, can you can you change a sexual desire? You know, can you change what you like in sex? You can lessen the urges. Right. Say it again, sorry. You can lessen the urges, but right. you can't completely get rid of that. Okay. And we need to work with these people to reduce their urge and give them the tools that when they feel like committing the crime, they've got something to fall back on so that they don't actually hurt the child. There's a place out in Arizona that has been very successful with sexual deviant, deviant behavior in all of all of those things, working with pedophiles. There's also another one in Chicago um, okay. where they deal with um, 
there is, you know, the, their successful methodology is getting to the traumas of their own lives of the predators. And I know that that sounds really tongue in cheek and well, why, why do we care what has happened with them? That's one of the reasons why they lack empathy. That's one of the reasons why they lack connection is because they're dealing with their own traumas and uh, another therapeutic process that has been very successful is by Richard Swartz. He wrote this book called No Bad Parts, The Internal Family Systems Model. Okay. Uh, healing Trauma and Restoring Wholeness with the Internal Family Systems Model. And basically what, what this model is, according to this model, every time an individual was traumatized, there's a broken fragment of the person that is inside them. And so this model goes to connect with that fragmented person. It's there's, there's so many things that, that are out there. I, I, but when you were talking about, I I wanted to circle back a little bit to where you were talking about the, um, the predators in getting the word out, because I think there's a delicacy where I've seen some comedians that have been sexually abused, try to, introduce it into their comedy acts. I've seen movies try to, you know, put that little snippet out there. I see that as dangerous because okay, what it does is it normalizes it. Yeah. We don't want to see it enough for it to be normalized where people are not like, Oh my God. So there needs to be a tone. And I think one of the things that you do better than most is you set the appropriate tone that it is dark, that it is dismal, that it is a horrific thing. And the music from your video conveys that, that this is deep, that this is sensitive, that this is emotional. This isn't something that gets passed by in a joke. This isn't something that, you know, when, when we're talking about a, a Hollywood video, a, a movie that's out there when they're saying, oh, you know, so-and-so got picked up for, you know, being a pedophile and they laugh about it. Mm. That is normalizing it because what our brain is going to start doing is habituating the pattern of, oh, that that just happened to them. People don't realize that the movies can brainwash us. So it needs to be dramatic. It needs to have dramatic undertones behind it. It needs to have that level of respect for the people that have been enslaved by the predators that that they've been under. There's a lot of people that have come before us that have gone through torture and hell on earth because they never had anything but this before they took their own life. And so when, when you were saying at the beginning that you give deep thought to this, the only reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because if this gets into the ears of a predator and they become just a little less predatory, then they can go to somewhere else to learn a little bit more. Right. And the same for someone who's been victimized. If they can hear this, if someone in their support system can hear these conversations and give them just a little bit more power, Mm. 
to make their situation just a little bit better, I'm not, I'm not going to change their life. I'm going to make it just a little bit better. Yes. And this is why it's so tricky because I do know there is a movement to normalize this as a sexual orientation. So I've heard a, uh, an argument that you can't you can't choose what you're attracted to is their discussion around this and that if it is treated like a sexual orientation like somebody is um gay is the example that right a lot. right um then we cannot shame it then we will open it up for society to understand and um, then people wouldn't be so ashamed to come forward with their desire. So there is this conversation that's going on, and I agree with you. I think it's dangerous. Well, I think and, it's dangerous. Well, but I also I, I think it's dangerous. And then we talk about that normalization, and we talk about the fact of LGBTQ, and, as you had as you had mentioned, and the pulling out the framework that it is it is my innate sexual desire or it is that individual's innate sexual desire towards children okay okay normalizing it is not the option normalizing it you jeremy you are the first person that i've talked to the first first person that has been victimized that has not had complete breakdown that has not completely had the most life altering horrific byproduct of someone else's selfish desires. And really what we're talking about here, we're talking about darkness. We're, we're talking and, and at the core underneath all of this stuff. We're talking about darkness. Now, I do understand. I, I have friends that are homosexuals, and I res, I respect consensual adults. I I respect the consent factor. You know, even even if you have a fifteen year old with a fifteen year old, and they're having consensual exploratory sex, that's not my platform. My platform is a thirty year old hooking up with a twelve year old. My platform is a 25-year-old thinking that it's okay to seduce an 8-year-old or a 7-year-old or a 4-year-old. Mm. Jeremy, this, this, there's, there's a level of anger that comes from this because I'm also someone who carried the casket of a 13-month-old baby that was molested. Oh my goodness. She was molested. Then she wouldn't stop crying. So he stuffed hot porridge down her throat, scalded her esophagus. That didn't work. So he grabbed her by her feet and he slammed her head off the ground about four or five times. Which she ultimately died of in an aneurysm. Okay, so why am I saying this? I said because predatory behavior will not stop. It will grow. I'm not saying that every single one of these individuals that are sexually abusing a child have the potential to murder. But what I am saying is if we feed it, it's only going to get worse. And when we normalize it, now we're feeding it. And now I also understand the fact of tabooing it 
when we look at it and we say, okay, that's a taboo situation, that is where some of these individuals get their high from because it is so taboo. It is so despicable. It marks right up to the way that they were treated as children when they were shamed and they were ridiculed and they were punished and they were sexual, you know, maybe they walked in on their mom and their, and their penis got erect when they were a child and they were beaten for it. Okay. Well, guess what? The more that we shame our children, the more that we ridicule our children, the more that we hate our children or teach them hatred, the more we can open up this opportunity for them to start exhibiting predatory behavior as time goes on. So if if, if we want to if we want to look at where are the root causes, it all comes from abuse and trauma. Hmm. These are the root causes. Like someone I, I believe that we come into this world natural and but we forgot about where mom was. Hmm. You know, for for example, my mom our, our mom was a she was a trauma one respiratory therapist. So while she was pregnant with us, she was working her rounds at a hospital. And I mean, when you're trauma one, you're seeing people's faces cut off. You're seeing people coming in completely scalded. All of that cortisol, all of that adrenaline was flying to the babies. So now it's not just what the mom went through. Now science is proving what dad has gone through. And it's passing from generation to generation to generation. Absolutely. There's this is such a complicated conversation to have, but it's a subjective conversation. Like you said, each individual predator is an actual individual. As much as we don't want to individualize them. That's what needs to happen because grouping them all together, line them up and shoot them, you know, chain and tar them, whatever. Guess what? Now we can't learn from each of these individuals. So one of the things I would say is if these individuals are getting out, learn from them outside of the monitoring from them, learn from them. These should, these people should be going and talking to teachers they should be talking to people that are in positions with these children. Obviously, not where the kids are, yeah, yeah. but they should be learning from these predators. They should be learning from this predatory behavior. I completely agree. If you run a big company and you want to protect your computer systems or your computer networks, you want the best hackers to come and help you create those files, right? So you really want the biggest criminal hacker to come and help you like in an ideal world. Yeah. They have all the answers. Yep. Yeah. And I think this is very, very similar. I think this is very similar. Absolutely. Because the predators know all the tricks. They know how they're feeling. They know where they try to exploit. They know how to look for signs and that would help us. But again, um, giving them that space and time is something that we don't um, actually want to do. And the conversation around considering the trauma that the predator went through in their childhood, I don't think we're even ready for that conversation. It's not going to happen. That requires a level of empathy. On all sides. It, you, absolutely. And we're still at that crucify him state. And <clears throat> believe me when I say I absolutely 
I do not like predators. <laughs> they, th- I, I've dealt with a lot because of predators. And in that tone, I also had to learn, as you learned, that if we don't learn from these individuals, you know, you look at someone like Oprah. Oprah was sexually abused. Oprah has physically had predators on her TV show, on her talk show, so people can learn from them. And no one else followed suit. Because they're scared. Because they're scared. Like, it's not, this is not a conversation of liking predators or or giving them a, a space or um, showing empathy to them. It's about working out how we're going to stop them from continuing to commit the crime. Mm-hmm. That's the goal, right? And if that means working alongside them in some form, then that's what it will take because the mission, the goal, the common goal that we all have is for this to stop happening to more children. We can't undo what happened to us. We can take from this day onwards. And the, I don't know what the reoffending rates are when people are released from prison. I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure that most offenders that get caught, it's not their first time that they ever did this. How are we going to stop them? From doing how are we going to change their mind how are we going to redirect their path how are we going to give them tools and knowledge to stop themselves from offending when they feel tempted to now of course you have the selection of offenders that just don't give an f right exactly right and when they're in prison they're talking to all the other offenders trying to work out the best ways to not get caught next time yep. and as soon as they're out they're implementing all of those and they're back on it we know that they're also are that selection of people right so maybe we have a different approach to those people yeah. but there is definitely a selection of offenders that we can persuade to not or we can encourage or we can educate or we can push to not offend again that's got to be the goal but I we've got to do everything in our capacity to achieve that. 100%. But I also think there's specialized task force, you know, so like in the States, we have ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children. Okay, this, this task force is put in place to protect children and to, it, it, it's set up on a national level. Okay, guess what? People are saying that the cops have too much power after the police, all of these things. Now these task force that are detective level, they have to go back to be in patrol hmm. and those task force dissolve. Yeah. I, I, I just interviewed a police officer that spent 30 years in the child abuse investigation teams and to hear his career was pretty phenomenal. And he was a true hero in my eyes. Yeah. Because even though society as like on reflection of what you just said, are killing the police and cuts, are, uh, financial cuts are always being made by government organizations, not putting enough money into these things that uh, police officers are pulling their hair out and they are not sure they've got more cases than they can deal with. And it's like, if we don't start encouraging the police, if we don't start encouraging the social workers, if we don't start informing and educating ourselves, if we don't start 
talking and opening the conversation on this, this is going to continue and it's going to continue to grow in particular with the opportunity that the internet has brought to these people. Yeah, definitely. Kathleen. I just said, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, please. No, I, I strongly agree with you. I wanted to get back to a second when you guys were talking about the movement. Um, and I've heard of this before, like the minor attracted persons Mm. flags. Um, my thought as a parent was, I want them to fly that flag because to me, it highlights who the children need to stay away from. It saves me time to figure out who the predator is. So I took that as, yes, please, by all means. And then I was reading something um, just last week about these dolls that mimic Hmm. the size of a child. Yeah, you've heard this. And all of the comments on there were about, this is disgusting. It shouldn't be sold. Why would we even offer this? And I thought, no, please offer this because I would love to know who is making these purchases. And I see where you're coming from with that, Colleen, but respectfully, I look at the individuals flying the flag. Mm -hmm. I look at those groups. I look at them no different as Nazis. Agreed. So, okay, but hold on a second. Why did they take the flags away from the Nazis? Why is it illegal to raise your hand as Hitler would? It's because it takes the power away. Because if you publicize this power, Now you can go to legislation. Now you can get more power in numbers. Now you can be a a law changer. I see. So that's, that's one of the, but, but I get what you're saying, but that's, that's why there's so many shoots and ladders with this. Mm -hmm. Colleen literally was one of the most, like she was pivotal in me starting this, this podcast as my sister was. And one of the things she said was, how can we help children? Mm-hmm. And I said, learn from the predators mm-hmm. because everybody's learning from the victims. And you're, when you're dealing with trauma, you're only going to get so much because of the micro blip thoughts, because all of those things, it's not a beginning, a middle and an end. But if you can learn from predators and you can learn from predatory behavior, I mean, look, we watch, we watch the nature channel. You know, you see the cheetah. Yeah. All right. Antelope go left. (laughs) You know, you're okay. We need to study predator. We need to people with stronger stomachs need to study predators because here's, here's the example. When you were talking about your story coming from, coming from a place of your parents respected you and coming from a place of nurturing coming from a place of love, the sexual abuse and your output from that sexual abuse, you still got good grades. You still had all of those things would be very seemingly connected to the historical Greek mythology of how pedophilia, like your scholars would be taken. They would be molested they would be, and then they would become scholars. Oh, wow. So pedof- the, the pedophilia, the sexual abuse, the molestation, this has been going on for centuries. Mm. The first thing that I believe 
is one of the most critical pieces to this fight is to dispel that there's any positivity that comes from it. There is zero positivity that comes from sexual molestation, sexual abuse, rape of a child, rape of a teenager. There's zero positivity. Now, we can turn some, something positive can come out of a negative, but not because of that negative effect, but because there's good-hearted people that aren't predators. So I think one of the first crucial components Okay, say something, absolutely. Something to say. Talk about it. Absolutely. But let's not let's not act. Let's not say, let's not think that there's any positives that came from you being molested, sexually abused, groomed, treated as such, or any child out there, any teenager out there. You know, someone, some sicko, some per, some person that is not connected could look at you and say, look how he turned out. Look how well he turned out. I'm not affecting this child as much as they think I am. They're not seeing the pain behind the closed doors. That's why I love, that's why I wanted to get you on because that's the truth. The truth is we got to learn from the victims and we got to hear the tough stories. We got to hear the challenging situations because people, people just think like, Oh, he was sexually abused. People don't think that, Oh, he was sexually abused. And yeah, he was taking a gun and he was putting it in his mouth and saying, okay, well you can suck a cock. Can you suck a gun with the trigger pulled? Because guess what? There's a masculine, there's, there's, there's still that, there's still that personification that men are tough. It's happening to men. It's happening to women. It's happening to girls. It's happening to teen, you know, to girls, boys, teens, you, you name it. And it really does rip apart a person's life. I've talked to men that are not able to have children because they're because of their sexual abuse, they were afraid <clears throat> that they were going to be a molester. Mm-hmm. So they just sit at the end of the bar, lonely. Hmm. Think about that. Wow. They took these these predators took one of the most precious natural gifts to have a child, to have a family, to have life. That's how serious this gets. You know, when you're, you're, lo- you're looking at someone that just jumped off a building and their brains are all over the sidewalk and someone says, what happened? Well, maybe it was the parents. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was the fact that they were so tormented in their mind from the sexual abuse that they went through. Yeah. That was the last result. These are, these are the conversations that I see. And when, you know, Colleen and Jen and, and Jeremy, when, when we talk about these clubs, when we talk about these groups, when we talk about, I'm seeing these individuals being affected by an evil. 
I'm seeing these individuals that are brainwashed, that they're affected. You know, you watch the Indiana Jones in the in the Temple of Doom. They're drinking the blood of a child. They just don't know it. Hmm. Because once you sexualize something, it becomes less horrific. Hmm. So that's the 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 play. The the sexualizing is one of the most dangerous things that's out there. And why are the apparel companies doing it? Why are the social media platforms doing it? They're feeding into the hands of predators. They're looking for more predators. Because I can swipe up and I could probably find 50 videos of a teenage girl pulling up her butt and seeing how her butt drops. Mm-hmm. Is that not sexualizing that that person? Mm. When they're when they're pulling on their sexual attributes? Now when you're dealing with someone that has a hyper arousal, cocaine. Every time they see it, it's like cocaine. So what what are we doing as a society? Let's hate these predators. Okay. Let's line them all up and shoot them. Okay. Guess what? It doesn't stop it. Hmm. Just like you said, all it does is stay right there. But I think what you're doing with your nonprofit, I think what you're doing telling your story, I think your I, I think your generosity of time your emotional capacity getting into the schools getting into the schools i'm really grateful for you out there yeah thank you so much it's like we have a topic on our hands or we have a situation on our hands that's so vast it's gonna uh, dedicate it's going to uh, be a life's work and never ending every time i open one door to a part of the topic like another three open uh, that i never thought about before um and i'm motivated and very encouraged to continue like the the qual i believe the quality of the work is improving we're reaching more people i'm slowly building a small team of people to help me with all the different tasks i think um i think the work can really inspire all ages um from from teenagers to middle-aged to elderly and i just honestly think something unique is going to be able to be created here one of my big goals is a tv series on netflix um that covers this topic but you don't even realize that this topic is being covered it's not a sexual abuse documentary it's not a sexual abuse tv series it's something else you follow characters and you learn about this indirectly like i think it's affected so many people that it the subject has so much potential. It just needs to be talked in the correct way, and I will continue trying to find um, find that. It's absolutely phenomenal, and uh, you know, check Jeremy out. Something to say. Go to his YouTube handle and all of his social media networks. He is he is growing as he should be. Um, you know, I can't wait to see you get to the million and above. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And 
coming into the United States as well because there's so much there's so much to compare notes and learn. So I love that you and Colleen are collaborating because I'll tell you, with me, I'm too close to the fire. I'm too close to the fire, and I'm not that. I'm I'm someone who can tell my story. I'm someone who can. Um, you know, have a, a debatable conversation and and do discussions, but as far as outreach and being that face for someone else to teach and learn, I'm too close to the fire. Yeah, it's, I do think about why I'm driven or why I'm okay with being so public. Not not about my story, but just with the movement. And maybe I won't think about that too much because it's useful. Yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, let's see let's see what we can do with this look jeremyindica.com is where all the info is if you want to check out uh, more of my work just really quick before we wrap this up i just gotta gotta take my hat off again to jeremy he's doing one of the most difficult things he is taking the the time that he was sexually abused he's learning from that and he is reaching out to individuals. He's reaching out to pedophiles that have been charged. He's reaching out to sexual deviants to learn from them and learn from their mistakes. That level of bravery is being frowned upon. It's being ridiculed. And it's so misunderstood. So before we look at Jeremy and say, how could you have people like this on your podcast? Or how could you, how could you even want to talk to someone this sick well i'll tell you why he does because he wants to learn from them so we can create greater boundaries so this and greater safety protocols so children are not affected by these individuals poor decision making skills bye for now everybody thanks for listening